Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Skeptics and Seekers, kind of. Think of this as the audio comments. It's the after show. Yeah, we just had a discussion on hell, round two, with six, count them, six skeptics. Well, we've got three right now because we've got one Christian, and it takes three skeptics to counteract one Christian. Uh, Dale uh, is with us. How you doing, Dale? I'm good. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me on. Brian, the uh, the uh, Lord of the After Shows. How you doing, Brian? I am doing well. Thanks for having me, David. And uh, Darren, uh, may the fourth be with you. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, so we uh, had a quite quite the discussion over the last couple of weeks. Uh, Dale was a part of the first discussion. Uh, Brian. Uh, and I were part of the second discussion. Darren was excluded from all discussions because it just wouldn't have been <laughs> fair to any of us uh, had he been uh, involved. Darren uh, has the special uh, designation of the never been, uh, and that provides uh, a different perspective, uh, I think, uh, every time we have Darren on one of these shows to talk to us. It's always a, it's always a different look than... Uh, than uh, those of us who are exgens, uh, because our brains were kind of uh, awashed and messed up by this stuff. But Darren <laughs> has never been a Christian, uh, raised completely secular. That, to me, even seems like just a weird concept. Um, it, it just weird. Someone raised completely secular. I don't know how that happens. But um, that said, uh, that's the three of us think... Uh, Think of this as just a casual chat, and um, let's see where it goes. So, uh, you guys been following the comments uh, this week? Oh, yeah. 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 Interesting. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I've, been, I've been following. I've been participating. I've been reading. I've been thinking. I've been all up in the comments this week. Yeah. Dale, you've had a comment or two this week. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I think... Um, most of my comments that I've been working on is just reviewing the actual episode and trying to get those up as the first step. I know that Val's been countering those and that, but I, I don't think I've done too much by way of, of counter of his further responses yet, um, apart from one or two things. I'm, I'm still working on reviewing the episode itself. Yeah, so I think one of the first things I want to clarify uh, is that round two, even though it's named round two, I, I put that up there. Those are just words. It's not actually a follow-up to the uh, first show. The first show was uh, a discussion on hell, Christian perspective. Uh, it's good to understand where Christians come from, and I wanted to get a, a full hearing uh, of that without Christians having to uh, debate you know, against skeptics. And round two is uh, a discussion on hell, the skeptics position. We did not, uh, you know, try to go through and uh, rebut or respond to what the Christians said. We tried to go through and explain uh, our perspective on hell. Uh, uh, some of us as former Christians, uh, Val, though never having been a Christian, uh, grew up churched nonetheless. And, you know, we have our own perspective. And I was hoping to give each side a chance to listen to the other side uh, and, and hear what the other side was saying. I don't, I don't know how successful that was. Um, I, I find that this is one of those subjects where um, we can't really hear each other. Uh, it's, it, it, there's so much emotion 
uh, involved, it's, it's really hard to hear where the other side is coming from. And so I try to do these types of shows to give uh, you know, each side a chance to hear the other, and I kind of think they don't work. Uh, what, do you, what do you guys think about that? Uh, who, who are you asking first? Anyone. It's not formal. It's the comment section. Uh-huh. This is the after show, right? The after party. We've, all been, after we've show. all been drinking nobody's, a little bit. Nobody's wearing pants. We want, oh, okay. <laughs> we well, this, this is my here. first after show, so <laughs> I didn't know the rules. Uh, Dale, Dale, go go to the go to the closet and get your smoking jacket and come back, and then you'll be ready to to do the after yeah. show. Gotcha. We'll do. <laughs> <laughs> David, I'll, I'll I'll jump in real fast. I um, I think it's a good point you bring up, um, and I think you're a little pessimistic about it because I think I actually think it's necessary um, to do the separate shows first because hell's a really big topic and there are a ton of underlying assumptions, uh, presuppositions, positions that people are coming from before you can even get into the topic. So I, if you, I think if you started with skeptics and, and Christians on the same show, uh, you probably wouldn't get past first base. So I think it was good to lay all that groundwork first before the back and forth can happen. Yeah, I think, I, I think I agree with what, Brian said, I, I do think it can be helpful um, to split it up and have lectures. Okay, here's the Christian side, and then here's the atheist side, and then you can bring them together. Like that's that's a valid a valid uh, format that could be helpful. It gives people a, a sense of each side. And and I actually found some of the points that were brought up in the atheist show to be helpful. I, I really I'll give my congratulations to Andrew for bringing up the. Mo- the best substantive point in, in that with the double jeopardy thing. I, I thought that was a great point to think about it. Is it double, are we double dipping with the punishment or something like that and punishing someone twice for the same crimes and how, how does that make sense? And yeah, the others made valid points as well. So I, I don't think, yeah, I'm not quite as pessimistic as you. Um, the only thing I, I would be wary about with the after shows is, well, if you're doing it as a, as a response directly to, you know, bring on three guests. Like, who knows how Chris Date would take that? Like, hey, you're kind of bashing me after the fact, or something like that. So that that would be my only concern. Yeah, I think you were. I think you're. Um, uh, being a little bit too pessimistic as well. Um, I think and Dale will have to speak for whether the Christians heard the atheists or not, but I think the atheists heard the uh, Christians just fine. Um, the response may not have been what the Christians were hoping for, but I think the message was loud and clear. Okay. Well, I'm happy to represent the pessimists. <laughs> so we actually, we actually have created a situation where Darren and Dale are ganging up against me and um, Brian. So this is this uh, not really how I wanted to start this after show. But um, I'll think, of, think, I think of this I'm, as your I'm, Christmas. I'm running, I'm running for the hills if that's how this is going to shake out. <laughs> Talk about strange bedfellows. Um, so, um, all right. Well, look, I, I do like the after shows. I like the after show format. but I, I And I like occasionally having all Christians or all atheists on the shows, but only mostly when I can develop a conversation, uh, even if it's a conversation separated by a week so that everyone gets a chance to hear each other. So I, I think I can 
say right now, uh, I will I will announce, I will reveal uh, in about a month, uh, we will have a show with uh, Dale again and Chris Date uh, again. I thought they had a good chemistry on, on uh, Calvinism. There's no need for an atheist on that show <laughs> because um, that's a that's a pretty big topic and a pretty uh, big uh, area of difference in Christianity. And I know that a lot of atheists, what some atheists rebel against is not Christianity at all. They are rebelling against, or at least, I'm sorry, uh, they're not rebelling against uh, um Right, there's no way to say this without getting in trouble. What they're really rebelling against is Calvinism, the Calvinist version of Christianity, because for them, that's all they know. Uh, and if they were presented with a different kind of Christianity, uh, they might find that more appealing. And so I don't mean to uh, present Calvinism as if it were not true Christianity. Uh, so I, that's, that's what I was trying to extract myself from. Um, so I think that kind of show hey. is, is worthwhile. Yeah, David, I was just gonna, I was going to say, you probably have another practical issue with having an atheist on a show like that, because wouldn't, wouldn't they not interact with them because they wouldn't believe that they actually exist? Okay. Atheists. Okay. Yeah. They're, um, right. That would be, it would be an entirely other argument that dis- that detracted from the main topic because yes there would there would be the the Romans one kind of issue that uh, you know you you call yourself an atheist as if you're an unbeliever but I don't really accept that now that said it could be that not all Calvinists are um Sidon Burden K type presuppositionalists But yeah, I, I do think that it would introduce a lot of uh, unnecessary issues that drew uh, away from the topic. And I think that there is plenty uh, for skeptics to talk about, but that's a good opportunity for skeptics to learn some of the differences between Christianity so that you know when they are um, inveighing against Christianity, they have a little bit better notion of what it is they're inveighing against. Yeah, yeah. Like I'm not, I'm not sure. Yeah, like I obviously I've agreed to to do the show, so I I think it's fine. I think it's good to have a Christian on Christian every once in a while. I don't think it always has to be Christian on atheist or anything like that. Um, yeah, I guess if you're looking for some kind of criticism with what what you did, that might be helpful. The only thing here's one thing that I noticed. So I noticed that there was kind of a misalignment. So when you brought on the Christians. You asked us certain questions, mostly, what are your beliefs? You know, what what is the quarantine view? What is this? And and we debated, well, what is the biblical warrant? Um, but then when the atheists came on, you were kind of saying, you were assessing it from what's important to the atheists, a moral or ethical standpoint. And you were saying, yeah, I don't think the Christians got it, or they weren't responding to in a way that would uh, uh, speak to atheists. And I, I kind of told you privately, David, I'm like, yeah, that's because we weren't asked questions to to assess it ethical. We were answering the questions we were asked, and that was more of a, a what nature. There, there wasn't really too much in the way of, well, how does, how does that work justice-wise, or how does that relate to moral principles or something like that? 
Um, well, I remember a couple of um, moral questions that Dave threw out there. And wasn't the consensus more along the lines that if um, even if the eternal conscious tor- uh, torture model was correct, that everyone would generally forego their own uh, morality and just trust that God was the correct one in that situation? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, he did. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, there is a couple, couple things. But yeah, I, I guess the only thing for me is I was in the mode of this is an inter intra Christian thing. Like I didn't get the sense that I have to formulate my answers in a way that would speak to an atheist subjection. So, so let, let me respond to that. Let me respond to both you and Darren. So first of all, Darren is right, um, and. Um, that the, he's, sorry, Darren, it's not to say that Dale is wrong. I understand your perspective, Dale, but Darren is right in that there were questions of that nature asked. And the reason they seem to get uh, short shrift is because you all were in agreement. And you all kind of dismissed those questions a little bit. Uh, okay. Now, I was not in a debate mode. I was in the neutral moderator mode. And so it would not have been fair for me to dominate the conversation with forcing a debate on something that you all agreed with, but that I did not. So if if any of you had disagreed, then we could have carried on the conversation further because it would have been a conversation among Christians. But when I did bring up questions like that, it was these things did not seem to phase you all um, very much, and your your doctrines were in such an alignment, and your, your agreement was in such an alignment where uh, you could easily just um, say, no, that's not how it is, and all agree, and then move on. So I, I felt compelled to not press the issue uh, in that particular show. So that's that's kind of why the conversation after the show went in more of a skeptical direction, uh, focusing on some of those questions. And they and that didn't happen in the actual show, but I I did give in the show opportunities for those discussions to happen. They just didn't. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, that's that's my take uh, on that. Yeah. Okay, so uh, regarding the show uh, from the skeptics' uh, perspective, uh, Dale, I wanted to start with you. You said that um, you thought the strongest comment uh, came from Andrew. Uh, this is going to make him insufferable for at least a week. Um, so thanks for that. Um, so uh, what, do, what did you think the weakest point was from, from a Christian perspective of listening to skeptics talk about hell? Um, okay, so, I, so I, I definitely know what I would say, but in light of our two-hour discussion this morning, I'm, I'm not going to be as harsh as I otherwise would have been on it. So I, I think it's sort of, you know, yeah, state... take it. <laughs> yeah, well, well I want to I wanna try to... Okay, so I, I think it would be sort of the emotive statement. So, you know, I, you mentioned my position and all the skeptics laugh. What? Really? He believes that? That's Looney Tunes, and this is just ridiculous. Uh, and... Yeah, so I, I guess to, to be fair, be you did bring up Looney Tunes. I'm sorry. You did bring up Looney Tunes uh, with your Bugs oh, Bunny analogies. Uh, okay. <laughs> okay. The father Bugs Bunny, the son Bugs Bunny, the Holy Spirit Bugs Bunny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah all right. Sorry, that's probably that's probably blasphemous in mixed company. I'm sorry, Dale. I couldn't resist. No worries. Um, 
So, so yeah, it, it's stuff like that, like saying, oh, we, we need to stop taking seriously Christians who hold these views. And, and I think that's a weak point, especially when you're bringing up, like, emotions. And I want to acknowledge, in light of our conversation, great, emotion, the emotions of skeptics who are offended that, hey, I'm going to hell. You think I'm going to hell? Like, you should care more and, and you know Darren saying that's repugnant um, I, I do think I should acknowledge these feelings and these emotion emotional statements and that sort of thing because there are people behind them so I, I should do better on that front but by the same token I would say skeptics saying that people who believe like I do just dismissing them or we should ridicule and laugh at them that that's what I would say is the weakest argument in my opinion. I think I would agree with you if we were in a kind of if, if we were making academic claims and uh, academic statements and then someone's statement was, yeah, I found it icky. You know, that would be <laughs> that would that that wouldn't be a very strong argument. But I think what you have to understand is when uh, the discussion is hell and understanding skeptics in general, especially extens, um there is a, there is a lot of emotion uh, tied up in hell, and so part of it, you know, part of it we're making arguments, but the other part we're just uh, saying how we feel. We're this is this is just what's on our mind. This is just how uh, emotionally this strikes us, and then we try to make arguments to justify those emotions. Uh, and so I hope that you also catch that there, there's a lot of conversation a- around why we feel the way we do. But certainly there are some uh, I feel statements in there and some of them are going to come across pretty raw. Yeah, that seems monstrous. If, if someone just as an example, if someone says, uh, th- you know, to someone in a matter of fact way, or maybe they write a manifesto, a very academic manifesto, saying that they are going to rape and murder many people. Uh, we would not respond to that academically <laughs> or philosophically. We would first respond to it emotionally um, and, uh, and, and possibly legally. Um, but that's that's kind of uh, how. I think you should expect skeptics to respond, at least initially, when the topic is something like hell. Uh, And I think it's good for Christians to understand when you say something like that, that does sound repugnant. Right. So so you misunderstood what I was saying was the weakest. So I I was using that, uh, the emotive statements, saying that I struggle to take those seriously, and it just turns me off from conversation. But I I should recognize that there are people behind that. So... I was contrasting that with what I thought the weakest statement of the night is, you know, Sarah's little last statement about we should just laugh at these people or think they're ridiculous. We, we should stop taking people that hold to my view or Dave's view of hell seriously. That That's what I thought the weakest argument was. So, I, I mean, I, I hate to break it to you, but that was, that was my favorite speech of the night. <laughs> I, I, I loved Sarah's <laughs> comment. So, I mean, it... Uh, this is one of the reasons I like having Sarah on shows and on projects and things like that. She's such a raw human um, who who is also well spoken, and I, I I know that Dale, you you maybe see raw as lack of refinement, <laughs> but I love that unrefined um, 
rawness uh, of Sarah, and I, 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 she speaks to my heart uh, more directly uh, than than most people, and so I, I do appreciate her. I, at the same time, I can understand how that would sound to you. Uh, I get that, but I, um, I actually thought that she did a great job. Hey, Darren, you heard the show. So I'm going to save you. I'm going to actually save you for last. Brian, uh, you were on the show. What did you think was the best and the worst uh, uh, point, points that we made? Well, let's see. The best were probably everything that I brought to the table. Agreed. And the worst was probably, you know, all the other, whoever those people were that you had and, on the show. Right. Uh, we're probably. <laughs> we're, we're just we're just hoping that you would be a little bit more specific. <laughs> I don't know. That sounded fairly specific to me. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I'm, I'm obviously joking. Um, I, I, it's hard for me to. I mean, it was a long show. I'm thinking back on everything. I, I was reviewing my notes on the show. Uh, obviously, the fact that it was the first time having Val on. Uh, I thought there was um, I loved his opening part. I also loved uh, there was a middle part where he started talking about justice uh, and he really struck a chord that I always find to be missing in these conversations, which is Christians come at them from a top down angle and skeptics come at it from a bottom up. You know, from the perspective of a skeptic, if you're trying to tell me that something is just, I need to understand the details of it. Right. So, I, you know, whether hell is just or not, you need to tell me about the situation, about the system. Whereas a lot of Christians come at it from the other angle and just say, well, because God is all just, any system he sets up, therefore, is obviously just. So, therefore, it doesn't matter whether hell is, you know, mean-spirited or, you know, unevenly applied or, you know, overly strong or unevidenced. That's all irrelevant because God is all just. Therefore, hell has to be just. So I, I just I think you're going to have an inevitable crashing of conversation when people are coming at things from a bottom up and a top down perspective, and and that needs to be bridged in order to have any substance. So I thought Val's points on that level were really really good. Okay, what was the what was the weakest uh, moments? Let, well, so at the end of the show, some guy got on the mic and started ranting and raving like a lunatic. I so I was thought that out. Was, <laughs> I'm pretty sure I heard it on my Apple feed. It wasn't just <laughs> no. Let's see. Um, yeah, I, the worst, the worst part of the show, but it was by design. You know, I, I thought it was a great show. I really didn't think it had very many bad points. But the worst part was there was no Christian pushback on certain things. And I will agree with Dale that I thought in some places the emotional statements were misapplied. It was an argument from consequences, right? That this is repugnant, therefore it's false. That doesn't follow. That's a, that's a, that's a fallacious structure. So anytime that an atheist or a skeptic says, well, hell is, is, is gross, so obviously it must not be true, I disagree with that. That's, that's a poor reasoning that's not using logical faculties. You can say, on one hand, I think this is repugnant, but the, the argument about whether this thing is true or not can be largely divorced, divorced from the, uh, the emotions issue. Okay, I think that's uh, an interesting and fair observation. I disagree. Um, maybe we can get back to that. Um, but yes, I, so I, I do think in general to say uh, of a thing, if we take it outside of the realm of religion, say just, just simply because you find it distasteful, it has nothing to do with whether it's true. 
But I think that religion is a slightly different proposition. Uh, and so our intuitions do matter uh, in the truth proposition of it somewhat. So, for instance, uh, I think that Val would uh, agree with this, or at least partly. Val will correct me if I'm wrong. Um, that if we, if the proposition is that God is loving, uh, well, in fact, let, let's let's say something slightly different. If the proposition is uh, that that thinking about God. In it, in and of itself, brings you peace. Let's say that's the proposition. That's a ridiculous proposition. No one's going to make that. But I'm trying to form an analogy. Um, if when you think about God, it does not bring you peace, then that is that is proof that the proposition is wrong, right? Or at least that's that's evidence that you can bring to bear. Um, so how you feel about it would matter. In, in that situation, and I think uh, some of some of the hell argument uh, as it relates to God may be slightly in that category. So on questions of justice, well, it doesn't seem like justice. This is not the human understanding of justice. Um, that might be a sign that it's not just, right? Or or um, a loving God wouldn't do the thing that you are proposing. That sounds like an emotive argument, but I also think that in this context that has some force because God should seem loving to us. If you know, because we're we are somewhat using our standard of what it is to love and be loved. And uh, if if this doesn't feel like that, then um yeah, I think that I think that has some bearing on the on the argument. Do you see what I'm saying? Yes, yes, I do. And again, I think this is it's it's subtle, which is why people end up talking past each other. You know, an example I've used in the past on the boards is if you know if I tell you that I have a brother who can jump over buildings in a single bound, I've done nothing to demonstrate that claim is true if all I do is bring you my brother and not have him show you he can jump over the buildings. And I can show you his birth certificate. We can take a DNA test. I can have my parents testify. But all I've shown is that I've got a brother. I have not shown that I've got a brother that can jump over buildings in, in single bounds. So if you're trying to argue that no deity exists because this deity you presented to me is, is not just or not loving, then that's fallacious. If someone says, I have a God and he's really loving, yes, you can attack the loving part with the arguments you were just talking about, the emotive ones that actually hit to the point of love, but you have not disproven any deity simpliciter. Sure. I, I agree with that. Um, yeah, I just wanted to back up what, what Brian's saying. So, again, this is my my failing that I need to work on. We, we don't dismiss the emotive aspect, uh, and I think that's where I fall short sometimes. But by the same token, if, if we're assessing truth, if, if you're making a claim hell is immoral because x y or z then we do have to approach that logically and, and we have to ask well how do feelings or mere emotions relate to a, the obtaining of knowledge and they're not we know for a fact they're not that reliable in and of themselves if we're just talking about emotion so while we can acknowledge people's emotions i, I don't think 
for trying to assess the truth of a claim, they're, they're not as helpful as focusing on it, the intellectual arguments or the, the substantive reasons and that sort of thing. Well, yeah, maybe. I, I'm, I still think there's something, something there to be teased out, but um, I don't want to eat up too much time. Hey, Darren, you were not on the show. Uh, you had a chance to listen to it um, in a way that those of us on the show <laughs> can't really hear uh, ourselves. And so since, since you uh, have that outside perspective and also the perspective of someone who has, has never really been immersed in the Christian doctrines of hell, what did you hear? What, what were the uh, best points, worst points from your perspective? Um, the, the first show or the second one? The second one. Um, I like Val a lot. Um, he, um, he sort of gave an overarching, um, framework from which to really move forward and, um, sort of, uh, shaped the conversation because he sort of gave an outline of the entire proposition being made in sort of a broad enough sense that I think it successfully encapsulated all three of the, um, the Christian claims, um, and I think the the emotive stuff was actually a fairly strong part as well. And I don't think it was. I didn't take it anyways as being a try to to prove that the um, that the Christian claims were wrong. It's just more of a um, of a, sort of a commentary on how the the Christians came across while making their claims so I was I was kind of happy with the um, with with the emotive stuff um, because I didn't take it as trying to be an argument to disprove Christianity or anything I just took it as a you know this is our reaction to what they were saying and I did enjoy your um, your closing statement but I enjoyed Sarah's closing statement too Now the important thing, what didn't you like, Darren? What did you think was the worst? I want to hear this. Well, you know, it's sort of funny. Um, I've been trying, while you guys were talking, I've been trying to remember back, and I don't remember a lot of the details, even though I listened to both episodes yesterday to prepare for today. Um, So, I don't know. Um, I'd have to go back and re-listen to it to, to actively listen for something that I didn't. Uh, but I was in general, I, I remember being in general agreement with most everything that was being said. And I didn't really take it as a, as a, as a big argument, just just sort of a conversation about um, how they were feeling about what the Christians said. So, well, so let me, let me just answer those uh, questions quickly for myself. I uh, too like Val. I'm a, I'm a Val fanboy, And so I think, um, it's very clear that Val needs to be on more podcasts. <laughs> and um, the, the worst thing, it's hard to say, but I think um, topping it off has to be uh, when Andrew talked about double jeopardy. It's such a weak, weak. <laughs> you you are so a master craftsman of podcasts, dude. <laughs> um, <laughs> Andrew, I'm sorry. Um, I'm not sorry. So uh, the best, the best part about um, I think the best argument 
Um, prob probably you could pick randomly from any of Val's uh, speeches, uh, and I think you would, you would find a best argument there. But I, I think my favorite aspect of the podcast was the emotional content and uh, not merely the informational content. Because I think what, what, what we got at was the visceral reaction to it. So, um, you know, um, it, it, used, it's, I, it used to be argued, and it might still be argued uh, in, in legal terms, um, that the difference between um, something that's obscene and not obscene is, is impossible to define, but you know it when you see it. Um, and so I, I, it's, it's that visceral reaction to a thing that's very hard to define. Uh, and I think it is un it's really important for Christians to see and understand uh, that for skeptics, this hell thing that, that they have in mind, that they think is so uh, good and reasonable and loving and just, causes a visceral reaction in some people that, that should not be ignored. It's, it's like seeing certain images and becoming nauseous, throwing up. That's what hell sounds like to, to me. It's obscene. It's, it's an obscenity that makes me want to gag. Uh, and I think that's true for a lot of Christians. And until Christians really understand that reaction, um, I, I think that they're going to talk about it ineffectively, thinking that they are helping their cause when they're really not, when they're, when they're hurting it. Does that, does that make sense to anybody? It does to me. I, I can't tell you how many times I've been on the boards and people uh, think that I don't understand what they're saying, so they try to explain it even more, and it just makes it worse, not better. Dale, can you understand that? From I mean, I know that this is, um, um, you know, we talk a lot uh, behind the scenes. There's no need to talk about all the stuff we talk about. But do you understand the visceral reaction uh, comment that I'm making? I mean, does it, you don't have to agree with it, but does it make sense? Yeah, well, uh, yeah. Well, I I struggle to. So when you're making this emotional de declarative statement, and it's not meant to be an argument or, or to get us to to a knowledge claim in in any regards. So so on one level, yes, I'm a human being. I have gut emotional reactions to things as well um i remember that you know this visceral reaction when i learned about hitler for the first time in history class in grade eight or nine or whatever it was so so i can understand i i felt these feelings as well um i also have a, a gut feeling reaction thinking about my brother who's an agnostic and he he's kind of apathetic towards religion and i have to work hard on him but to get him interested and but not push him so i i usually well can you listen to this show and, and give me your advice on how you think i did and stuff but i don't i don't be too pushy but yeah i have this i don't want him to 
to go to hell it, it kind of becomes real and stuff so I, I can understand when I say hey you Darren or Brian or David you guys are going to hell it's it's not a good feeling if you take that seriously in that um, so, so on that level I, I guess I can understand I just don't know what to, to do with that on an emotional level like uh, should I pat you on the back and say yes it's it's terrible where you're going is terrible um but let's focus like i don't know what to do on that, an would, that would not be the right response <laughs> yeah that would be the worst. What, what is, how, how do i respond to the emotional well, well let me ask you i don't yeah, know how how can i meaningfully respond to your emotions <laughs> saying yuck or saying i don't like this is repugnant like how should i if it's not about the intellectual arguments about what's moral or not how should I respond to that? Look, this is this is not a. I understand it's not a fair question, but I'm. I don't know how to answer that except by analogy. If if you are, let's say, an art student, uh, and you created uh, a piece of art that showed uh, graphically a child being chopped up by a chainsaw, and 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 you showed that to me, I would turn away and throw up. And and then you say, oh, man, I, I see that caused a reaction. Here, let me explain the picture further. Here, look at these details. I would throw up some more. <laughs> you, you cannot bridge that gap by explaining it, <laughs> by, by making it more graphic. Um, you don't understand. I saw the picture. I get it. It's repulsive. Yeah, and it's important to understand that just because someone's having an emotional response, you don't actually have to respond to it. Um, emotional responses are, like David was saying, emotional responses are not logical. They're not um, uh, reasonable. They just are. And you don't always have to respond to everything. That's a good point. Right, okay. but they, they do speak to who we are and where we are in our human walk right now. So, you know, I'm never going to buy that picture that I described and hang it on, hang it on my living room wall. I, I just, I don't care what you say about it. That's, never, that's simply never going to happen. Uh, and maybe someone else would, and they would uh, appreciate its artistry and depth or whatever. And if being a, a full human means that I have to be able to appreciate that, then I will, I'm, I'm happy not being a full human. And this is this is part of the religious proposition. Some parts of it are so awful that I think some some will never be able to bridge that. And uh, you can talk about hell all you like, but the, it doesn't get better if you say, "But God loves you." I mean, yeah, that <laughs> that actually ends up being a testable claim that shows that your religion's false. Saying that God loves you is is a false. What? Yeah, if you're if you're describing hell and then uh, you try to make hell better by saying that God loves you, then the contrast between hell and love becomes a testable claim that shows the religion is false. Yeah. Okay. Because uh, we know what yeah, we know what it means to love, and hell is not that. Right. It's it's like yeah. saying of that picture that I described that uh, yeah, but it's beautiful. <laughs> yeah, but that what Darren said that would be an intellectual claim. Like I would I would be able to try and ass assess that intellectually, right? He's, oh, okay, I can now make a claim. You're you're saying God is all loving and yet or God is loving is what he said and there's hell. 
the two are inconsistent or something like that, and therefore it's false. So I, I can I know how to handle that kind of thing, but it's just on a, on an emotional level, and that's what seems to be really important to to you guys to be able to express. I, I, yeah, I'm not totally sure how to help apart from letting you guys vent and say, okay, this is how you feel. Maybe I could just ask probing questions or something like, well, are, are your visceral feelings always correct? And, and maybe, have you ever been wrong in your visceral feelings? Like if you had a, a visceral reaction based on a first, you know, that guy is a jerk or something based on a first reaction. But then when you get to know them, oh, I, I, my feelings were totally wrong. And, and maybe that would get you to question your initial reaction to, to the doctrines and say, okay, I, I need to think about this a little further rather than just emotionally react. No, that wouldn't work. That wouldn't? Okay. No. Because you're still assuming that you're still assuming that hell is a good thing. And by definition, hell isn't a good thing. Um, there, There's no way to square that um, that peg. And um, let me just jump in and say there's no way to square that peg with that person, at least not right away. You're asking a person to rewire their their uh, sense of good and bad, pleasant and unpleasant, right and wrong, just and unjust. You're asking them to completely rewire all of that uh, in order to accept this idea uh, of hell. And that's that's a big ask. It's, it's too yeah. big of an ask. If you really want to be, if you really want to go down that route, what you would have to end up doing is define good and evil, and you'd have to do it in a way that um, that person agrees with, and then you'd have to show that hell was actually a good thing and not an evil thing. And I, I mean, if you want to, if you decide to do that, it'd be an interesting exercise to see if it can be done. But I have no clue how you would make that happen. Yeah, yeah, that, and that's yeah, yeah, that that's what I would probably do and that's believe it or not what i was attempting to do with with your claim when when we were going over it okay you say it's repugnant to have this emotive statement what what does that mean and you said well it's immoral and then we can get into well how do we define immoral and and that sort of thing or i can build up a hell doctrine that it it's not this brian made a, an interesting point about val where i think he was uh, he, he was wrong in how christians argue uh, or at least the way i argue for for hell i mean i i came to my conclusions about hell as a non-christian so i I didn't just assume top down that the christian theism is true therefore hell is good i came to the conclusion bottom up that it's equally probable that hell is good on some certain uncertain models like the model that i'm advocating for and i did that using basic normative ethical principles the principle of justice which basically states look we we treat people uh we treat equals equally and inequals inequally uh as well as you know other moral principles like beneficence do no harm do no unnecessary harm and and stuff like that or principle of malfeasance and i i interacted with these so uh, yeah like i used the philosophy of law the the theories about the justification for punishment and i take a consequentialist perspective this is secular philosophy it doesn't assume christian theism is true or anything and well, except oh, except uh, i'm sorry there but you're sort of smuggling in that god is good at the beginning about all that because throughout all your equations and um, arguments you're always assuming that god is good and he can't do any wrong uh, an atheist doesn't start there we we 
um, see what God is doing, especially with when hell comes around, and see that hell is evil, and any person that would do that is also evil. So, you're, yes, you're going through a, a lot of different uh, paths to get to where you're where you're at, but the problem that you're going to run into is that you're still assuming that God is good and He can't be evil, and you have to you have to that is the thing that you're going to have to overcome uh, first if so, you want to so actually uh, convince an atheist. But believe it or not, that's that's so that's what I mean. That's not true. I I didn't start with that assumption at all. And in, in fact, I even came up with negative evidences that were successful. I said, God, the Christian God is probably immoral in this case. And and at the time of my conversion, that was the issue of sexism. It didn't happen to be the Abraham test or, or hell. Um, but if hell was a torture chamber model, I would have in, and, and this is what I mean. So when I build up in this way, I'm building up by looking at the, the negative evidence of hell in isolation. And that's where I'm using the principle of quarantining as a justified consequence and that sort of thing. Yeah, but sometimes but in the comments, I'll, I'll get, I just want to say this. So, so sometimes in the comments, I understand why it's confusing because you're talking to me now as a Christian and as a Christian in light of the overall cumulative case. So pretend, pretend hell is a torture chamber model. The Bible teaches it's actual torture. You're burning in fire and everything. And I, I would be, if it says that, I would be 95% certain in isolation that the Christian God is immoral and false. Um, so I, I'm not using an assumption uh, that God is perfect and therefore torture is just cool. But as a cumulative case, because the, the positive evidence outweighs all of the, the combined force of the negative evidences, including this hell thing, Overall, I know God is is morally perfect. It's more probably proven to me that God is perfect and that this doctrine is immoral, even if when focusing on one thing in isolation, I, I'm going to suffer cognitive dissonance. I, I don't if hell is a torture chamber model, I don't have a good answer for that. I, I don't know how to totally come up with a, a reconcilable answer that will influence skeptics. I'd probably just have to say, yeah, I, I don't get it, but I have faith that it somehow makes sense overall when, when considered with, with all the evidence positive and negative combined so so that so you have to be careful am i talking top down within the overall context in the comment or are we getting into the weeds and assessing this particular issue uh from the bottom up and when i do that i'm not using this assumption uh that god is perfect or something like that so let me let yeah. me just let me just jump in and interject uh this sounds like an interesting conversation that's that may, might have legs in the comments, uh, bring it up. I wanted to ask one thing before we got uh, too far down the, the road there. Uh, just a challenge to the skeptics. So listening to the skeptic argument and having a chance to think about it, is there any version of hell? I wanted to ask you this, Brian. Is there any version of hell, just putting yourself in the religious mindset for a moment, is there any version of hell that that you think would be just because one of the things that we talked about a lot is our sense of justice and this this being such an affront to what what we thought was justice what would be justice brian so yes i think i think there is in theory a potential version of hell that would be just uh and number one 
on the list to make it just would be that I am given good enough evidence to believe it's real, am explained the moral system that I am in and why it makes sense, and and I'm convinced that I have the choice to make the right and wrong decisions and that if indeed I make the wrong decisions, then I deserve this level of punishment. And the punishment would need to fit the crime the way that we believe about justice uh, in this world is. Uh, and, you know, and in, and in all the conversations I've had about the Christian hell, I don't have any of those things, right? That, that all of those things are speculative at best. So, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I live, in, I live in the United States. There are laws. I agree with some, disagree with some, agree with some that exist, but think they're too severe, et cetera. Um, you know, I don't, I don't even have that level of data for uh, an afterlife hell. So, you know, but in theory, if there is a God and he's in charge— then I can see why he would get to set some rules. But again, they can't be hidden rules. They can't be, you know, mired in parable and in, you know, a dusty old book from thousands of years ago. Give me the rule right now. Show it to me. Open the door and show me what's waiting for me if I do the wrong thing. And then explain to me why what I'm doing is the wrong thing. But if the wrong thing is being gay or not believing in God or, you know, I picked up sticks on the Sabbath, so now I'm deserved to get hit with a lightning bolt. None of those things make sense, right? So you've got to explain to me why those make sense because they don't to me. So as long as I'm as long as I'm given the informed consent about the game show that I'm in, then I can submit to the rules and participate and understand that I might be worthy of a hell if I don't do it right. So I'm going to jump in and um, follow up on that. Usually I would wait, but that's such a good answer. I I just wanted to add there is no version of hell that I think would be good but if there was it would have to start with the recognition that hell is a spiritual punishment for a spiritual crime uh for a spiritual condition and i am at this point uh deemed spiritually broken and so in order for any kind of punishment to make sense to me i would have to first be spiritually fixed uh so that i could uh, go through this thing in a in a repaired and best possible state. Uh, so it, it's not fair to judge me uh, for spiritual crimes and punishment with spiritual punishment if I start this race already spiritually broken. I don't have a chance. Uh, and so, yeah, do the repairs first, uh, and then do, do the game show. Uh, otherwise, it it's capricious, and there's no version of punishment uh, that makes sense for me. Darren, yeah. do, do you have a hell that you could live with? Yeah, here I'm going to have to disagree with both you and Brian, uh, because under the Christian model, there is no version of hell that is not capricious, because... You in the Christian mythology, you start out with absolutely nothing, and then God creates everything. So he has to imagine and create and implement the sin. He has to imagine, create, and implement humans. And part of that imagination and implementation is creating us with the capability of sinning and then uh, creating us with the desire to sin and then punishing us because he created us with um, the desire to sin, which none of that had to happen. So it turns any version of hell into capricious, unjust, and just 
immoral. And then if you believe in the um, spiritual warfare version of things, then he also had to create an enemy for him to have a war with. So, no matter how you slice it, we uh, in the Christian model, we end up being punished for God's choices. So, um, I can't see any non-capricious or just way to make a hell work in that model. Dale, so you've heard um, three different answers from three different people for uh, why we think the current models of hell are unjust and what it would take to make it just. I, I know that you can't fix us with your answer, but how do you, how do you respond to that emotionally when you hear that? And um, if you don't want to go there, just what is your response <laughs> to it? I, 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 I am curious to know, though, when you hear this sort of thing, what, is, what are you hearing? Uh, so, I, yeah, on an emotional level, t- to be honest, with what uh, you guys said, there wasn't too much emotions that, it, like, I wasn't offended or, or something. You were, you guys just seemed to be stating why you think it, it doesn't work uh, as in an intellectually substantive way that could be responded to. So, yeah, I didn't really have an emotional reaction to, to what you guys said in, in this instance. I wasn't called repugnant or, or something like that. So. Well, the show's but not over yet. <laughs> yeah, no, but yeah, uh, there, yeah, there was nothing wrong with what what Darren or Brian said. It just um, it's just a matter of okay, well, is what they say true or not, and we can assess that. Well, before you uh, assess whether it's true, can you assess whether it makes sense? I mean, when when you when it when those words hit your ear. Do do those words make sense to you? Uh, so so yeah. So in terms of Brian's uh, Brian's points, n- not so much. The this point doesn't make sense. I don't think we have to prove in isolation that hell hell is actually true. Um, it, it depends what what claims you're doing. If if we're trying to assess the morality or immorality of hell. It, we don't have to prove that it's actually true. It's just a question of, well, what is what is hell supposed to be, and then how does that fare in terms of our moral evaluation and stuff like that? Um, so, I, yeah, Dale, that's, Dale, let me, Dale, let me, let, Dale, let me just interrupt you real fast. Sure. I, you know, I, I'm a parent, right? Mm-hmm. And if I tell my if I tell my kids that if they don't clean their room, I'm going to whack them in the back of the head with a two by four, then they don't clean their room. And I then don't hit them in the back of the head with a two by four. How motivational is my threat of the two by four going to be? Yeah, not yeah, n- not at all. After the first time, uh, so wh- or, or, so whether hell exists or not is the whether or not I'll hit them in the head with a two by four. It is paramount whether there's an actual hell where I'm going to go to if this God is going to use that threat to get my behavior to change. Yeah, yeah. For so that's why I was saying it depends on the, the purpose kind of thing. So if if we're assessing the morality, a claim about the morality of hell itself, it's it's not necessary. Uh, we we can assess the morality of that two by four. You using a two by four to hit your kids, whether it's true or not. But if if you are in the sense that I want to motivate you to action to convert, um, and, and you and somehow I'm using hell as part of an apologetic to get you to say yes hey i'll be a christian then 
Yeah, uh, for sure. Yeah, you're right. That the ex- proving the existence of hell as a as a motivator would be part and parcel of that case. So yeah. Um, and in terms of Darren's, uh, yeah, of course it makes it makes perfect sense. I mean, I, I thought of this as well, right? Like God ha- God ultimately at the end of the day, however you define hell, even on universalism, pretend I I am successful in proving to Brian hell is perfectly moral in terms of this quarantine view it does come back to there is always going to be this question of okay but it, it didn't have to be there didn't have to be anyone in hell the, the, the possible world where God exists alone uh, is obviously of equal overall quote unquote utility as the actual world that, that exists otherwise God's choices would be logically necessary so if there is greater quote unquote overall utilitarian value then creation is necessary and that's not God wouldn't have a choice he'd have to create as a maximal great being to produce the the optimized overall value by the same token if hell is overall less utilitarian value or, or something like that then it would be logically necessary for God not to create and this is where the difference is between Darren Darren and the skeptics are essentially saying, well, hey, this world is of lesser overall utility compared to a world where God just exists alone. And that's where I'm saying, no, like, how do you prove that? I don't believe that that's the case. I think they're of equal value. Yeah, um, we're not really saying that either. I, okay, so then why do you think it's immoral for God to create uh, a world that has hell in it? If, if it's of equal utilitarian value, what makes it immoral? Well, because I'm not entirely sure how you get uh, equal utilitarian value from torment or torture. So you do think it's of lesser value because there's torment and torture, right? Well, the way you had it worded before wasn't quite right because um, God could have created a world without sin in it. It wasn't the choice between him being just him and creating a, a uh, world with hell in it. The choice is rather infinite um, because he didn't actually have to create sin. He didn't have to, because he would have had to actually not just create sin, but also make it up. Because when it was just him, I'm supposed, I'm assuming you uh, assume that sin didn't exist at that point. So he would have to actually imagine it decide what it was, what what these parameters uh, are, uh, how it would work, what it would do, um, the effects it would have on his creation, all of that would have to be planned out beforehand, and then he would have to actually create it. So, the, the choice isn't between him creating and not creating, the choice is how he creates, the choices are how he decides to create and what choices he makes, what things he decides to add, what things he decides to take out. Um, that's that's the choices that that are being critiqued, not not just the idea that he decided to create. Gotcha. So so yeah, and that's that's where we would challenge that. So I would say there is no such feasible world. That there is a, a logically possible world where the same amount of people do that, but they they never sin in the first place. So everyone's, there there is no salvation because there's no sin in the first place. There's no strict logical contradiction 
in supposing such a world, but it's not broadly logically possible. It's, it's not a, what philosophers call a feasible world to create, and well, well why not? And it's, it's, it is literally this free will factor. We, free will, if that's the case, it, it's undetermined. We can't say, oh, if God creates X, Y, and Z circumstances, then that determines that no one would sin. And in order for the skeptics to say, well, no, there, there is this world where people with free will, uh, no one would choose to sin in the first place. That That's an assumption. You, you have to prove that. I, I have no way of determining overall what what free creatures would do. It, it could be there is the only feasible worlds that exist are worlds where someone will and or everyone will choose to sin sooner or later over the course of eternity. And therefore, it wasn't possible for God to create this this alternative world that you're putting forward and if you say that no there, there is such a world then I say okay well how do you prove that because I, I don't have any way of assessing what I don't have middle knowledge uh, like God does I don't know what every free creature would do in every different set of circumstances so that that's where the the assertion comes in on the part of skeptic that I, I don't see how you would be able to prove but let me, let me uh, yeah, but but yeah, sorry I was just going to say I was just going to say quickly Dale that that it's not all about free will, right? Because, you know, I give my kids free will and independence to live their lives, but I don't leave on my, you know, son's nightstand a, a loaded handgun and a bottle of Jack Daniels and the keys to my truck. Mm-hmm. In my case, yeah, I maybe I have free will, but all of my proclivities, all of my DNA, all of my human nature was not created by me. It was given to me by my creator. That's akin to leaving the gun, the Jack Daniels, and the car keys on the nightstand. I didn't have a choice to not have a nature that likes gambling or likes drinking too much or is lustful. I have no control, no power over that. That was given to me by my creator. So it's not just about free will. He's also putting us in the little mousetrap that we're running around in. Yeah, so so that is a good point. And that's where I get the, I'm kind of like a Calvinist as a Molinist, God's sovereignty, God actively controls or directs our choices in a non-determined way that's the key though it's not determined just because the gun is there and the jack daniels is there doesn't mean you have to have to take it that that is your free will choice and your fault for taking it even though these circumstantial influencers are present um god's Uh, not at fault for that and sorry yeah that doesn't work one, so, one last. So, yeah, I, 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 okay. I, I can't see how you can say it's not. Well, let's let's, give, let's, give, let's give Dale a chance to finish his thought, and then I'm going I'm to sorry, the sorry. <laughs> no, no problem. One last thing is, we have to also God's omniscience, right? So it's it's not all about just you. It's also about God optimizing the maximal utilitarian value. Um, using the circuit because if you change if there was a gun and whatever else but not the jack daniels bottle who knows what else would arrive so so maybe god knows in advance that having the jack bon- daniels bottle and the gun there oh an intruder would come in that night and you would sh- and because you shot him he he get pretend you shoot him in the arm and you don't kill him and oh the cops come and they arrest him and and he becomes repentful he's like man this robbing people is is too dangerous or something and then who knows maybe the next night another person comes in and you're you put the gun away and you use the jack daniels to smash the bottle over his head or something like that and that leads to a whole bunch of other circumstances so this is another assumption only god has omniscience he 
human beings don't know how to get the optimal results for, for all of history, past, present, and future, in terms of getting people to freely make choices or something. And, and yeah, like, the, sorry, to complete the analogy, pretend that guy in jail, uh, he realizes he was wrong for robbing you, and then he goes to church in prison, and he hears the gospel, and he gets saved, whereas if the gun and that weren't there, he wouldn't have been saved. So we have to have this overall perspective of overall of history. How do we optimize the number of people being saved versus freely choosing to be damned? And and God, the, the defeater claim is, why couldn't God have set up the circumstances so that overall it optimizes the results, even if there are some bad consequences uh, on an isolated basis, like oh, Brian will be tempted to drink the bottle of Jack Daniels. Okay, I've I've got to jump in. Um, I'm incapable of this much patience. Um, so that much? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that's torture. Sorry. Torture. Um, Sorry, I, I was muted, but I just want to laugh because that was funny. So, um, I wanted to go back to something you said. Um, moment uh, moment ago uh, Dale that you know just just because you know a person set the Jack Daniels the the gun and the car keys doesn't mean uh, that they're responsible for what happened and in our system of justice uh, in the US anyway that is simply not true um, there was a case uh, not all that long ago either last year or the year before uh, where there was a, a, a person who was suffering from depression and um, he was uh, going out to kill himself and his girlfriend, I want to say, sent him text messages uh, encouraging him to do it. Um, and uh, she was uh, found guilty. Um, I don't remember exactly what the the charge was uh, murder assisting in murder manslaughter or some something but she was guilty uh she and she was guilty now granted uh she and, and we can we can speculate further uh you know she may have even set up the circumstances uh knowing that this was a depressed person uh and you know had been you know setting up circumstances all along to push him to kill himself so she can take the insurance it look these um but yeah, when we find that that happens, uh, we don't say, "Well, you know, they had free will and they did it." No, you you are guilty for uh, inciting that action, and so it does not, in fact, help uh, to to exonerate God uh, by saying, "You know, we ultimately made the decision." That kind of goes back to the uh, a little bit of Darren's objection, one that I. Uh, tend to make a lot, which, you know, if you go back to the garden, we can imagine uh, Adam and Eve living out perfect idyllic lives uh, in the human race, in fact, living out perfect idyllic lives if it weren't for two things, uh, this poison tree and a, and a, uh, a deceitful serpent. And so it wasn't enough uh, for God to put humans uh, on earth. He had to give them Something that would tempt them. Remember, the tree was had a fruit that was appealing to the eye. It wasn't. It wasn't repulsive, and that wasn't enough. He had to put in a serpent that was manipulative and that could that could trick them. So, it, it there. 
I think when I say uh, we didn't fall, we were pushed. That's that's what I mean. And it, you know, if we were pushed, this is this is on God. Um, and so this is at least I think the normal human intuition. Uh, we we cannot find a just justification for punishment of a person being hit by a train if we know that they were pushed right that so um it feels like the fall only uh, the other comment that i wanted to make was uh yes you are technically right that we cannot prove that there's another possible world that could have been made with more utility but you can't prove your assertion that this is the world with the most utility if your god is evil he wouldn't be trying to create a world with the most utility. And so you just kind of start with a position of God's goodness and then say this is the world with the greatest utility. But you you are in no more uh, position to say that than we are to say that it's uh, a world with less utility. And finally, on the subject of utility, uh, I just this is another one of those calculations that makes me want to throw up. I, it, it, I have a, a visceral reaction uh, that I have to fight when, yeah. when you start talking about utility of, of certain worlds. Because what you are actually saying is, uh, yeah, so uh, 70 billion humans uh, had to go to hell uh, in this type of world. But the, the 10 billion humans that were saved makes it worth it. And their, their joy somehow mathematically equals out or and, and is slightly greater than the suffering of the 70 billion and so it's worth it this is this is a terrible uh obscene calculation to my ear uh i don't i don't understand it at all and and if you were to say well uh, but of all of the people who would ever be born on this world, I'm just using the number of 70 billion because it's a big number. It's way overblown. But, uh, you know, all 70 billion humans uh, go to heaven except for one. In, in order to make that happen, only one person needs to be tortured forever um, in the worst kind of torment for eternity. So, the, you see, the utility would be so much better if we did that and torture this one person. I would say you are a monster. And you should be shot. <laughs> so not 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 tortured, just shot. <laughs> it's taken out of the equation. That's a terrible way to calculate the value of a human life. And I don't. I reject the idea uh, that uh, of this utility equation and God just kind of sitting and figuring out mathematically whether my suffering is worth your joy. It, it that math will never check out for me okay okay so three things to respond to so okay so i'll take the last one first so here's where i th okay no i'll take the second one first so right so in discussions about hell for example i this is why i'm not making a claim i i don't claim to know that there are two best possible worlds and i can prove that there are two possible worlds or two best possible worlds and that this is one of them or something like that i'm just offering as a defeater if the skeptic makes a claim that hell is immoral or or because god uh sorry that god's choosing to create the world rather than just not create is immoral they bear the burden of proof now if they can't meet that burden of proof as you yourself admit 
great. Then retract the claim. Just just raise, well, I, I don't know. Was it moral for God to create or not? That here are some factors in that. And if I want to step in as a Christian and say, hey, I can claim it was act, I can claim it was actually moral for God to create. Um, then I would need to do that. I would step up and meet the burden of proof by proving God exists. God is a maximal great being. That means he's morally perfect. Obviously, creation exists and. God is the, as a maximal great being, was the creator, so he chose to create. Since, and then I would prove creation isn't necessary, um, meaning God had a, a free will choice to create. Um, and then that would, then I could prove, well, see, yes, it was in fact moral for God to create. Um, but I would need to back up those three premises or those premises if I'm stepping in and making a claim. But I, I'm not doing that in the context of the Abraham test. I'm not doing that in the context of hell or something. When, when you just ask me, Dale, what do you believe? And I just give a declaration or statement that doesn't come attached with a burden of proof. If the skeptic wants to say, no, I claim that is immoral, they have a burden of proof to prove that what I just said, utilitarian-wise, is false before they can establish their claim. So if, if there are no claims going around, great love love it i can close my books and i can go back to working on what i want to do the cosmological argument um so so yeah that's that's my response to the second point i'm i'm not making a claim in this context i'm just saying hey you if you're going to claim it's immoral because god created then you have to deal with this objection you have to refute this and show that this is improbable in some way the the well, may i comment on that wait a minute, wait a minute. let him let him uh let him finish addressing the the, the three arguments uh, and then you, you can be so, next here so quick yeah because i don't want to monopolize all the time so okay so in terms of hell being you you have a, a, a perhaps you have a wrong view of hell you see it as kind of like a net negative and and it depends so so hell is a negative thing whereas people being saved is a a, po a great positive value producer let's say However, your mistake is saying that, well, compared to non-existence, hell is a negative, is a net negative value. Not necessarily. I, I think that most people in hell will like existing. They'll like having their margaritas in, in uh, oh, that doesn't work. Uh, they like having their, their schnapps in, uh, in hell, in New York City, like David Johnson said in, in one of our shows when I described what hell is. Maybe hell isn't a net negative relative to non-existence. Um, if you say that it is, okay, well, how do you prove that? Because I don't, I don't see the quarantine view as a net negative compared to non-existence itself, uh, at least overall for most people. I, I'm open to the possibility that maybe for some it, it just gets to that point and maybe they can self-annihilate. It's not externally imposed on them, but they can choose, I just want to annihilate my, my existence or something like that. that. That's just a speculation. I can't prove that. I don't know if that's the case or not. But yeah, that's it's that's something that would need to be established. That uh, existence in hell, a low quality of life in hell in this quarantine zone, is a net negative relative to non-existence. Not relative to heaven or relative to life on earth. It, it's got to be. Would you prefer to just not have existed in the first place? Um, and then your final point about uh, so God is immorally influencing, and so so yes, there there are limits on how. God can allow 
thing. He he can't sin, even if that'll lead to more lives being saved. He can't he can't tell a lie just to save more souls. That would be immoral. Um, in in terms of God allowing influences, perhaps there there are limits on what God can allow and that sort of thing. There there could be limits on what circumstances are moral to to provide. But it, your your example of Adam and Eve. Number one, it assumes that's literal history, and I, I'm being persuaded that that's not. It's mytho-history mytho genre. So what the tree of knowledge it represents experiential knowledge, not propositional knowledge. So they had all the relevant moral faculties to make an informed choice. They weren't little babies that didn't know what, what was going to happen. They, they had the moral prerequisites to make that moral decision and be blameworthy for it. Um, but the, it, it's it's a symbolic or metaphorical representation of the actualization of free will, which is a good. It, you have to allow for the action for the potential for evil to actually be actualized. And just because there's a, that's what the 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 tree and the snake are representing, kind of thing. But let's pretend that wasn't. Even if we're in a bubble world, like David Smalley argued. Pretend there's just I, I can't do any. I'm a statue in a bubble. I, I can't punch people. I can't I can't talk and and swear and sin that way. In order to be a free creature, a necessary prerequisite is you have to be able to think, and you can do thought sins. So God, there's literally nothing God can do short of creating robots as opposed to free willed creatures, which is obviously of a much greater value to prevent sin from coming together. Altogether. Well, he could stop calling something sin. So that's that's one thing you could do. Well, that it's it's logically impossible to call something that's evil good, right? So so God God would not be God if he he determines it, what is evil, uh, though. Uh, to Darren's not, point, not arbitrarily. It it is of logical necessity what it is. It, it's not like God can just decide, flip a switch, and decide. Okay, lot, rape's cool now. Um, he he can't do that. So I, I will take this up in the comments section, as I encourage others to do. Darren, uh, start winding us down. Uh, I'm not done with you, Dale. <laughs> but uh, I, I hope I hope this has been some. Yeah, I hope it's been helpful to some degree. Well, yeah, oh, absolutely, and I hope that we can continue it in the comments in the spirit that. Um, it happens now. I, I, like I said, I think of these um, after shows as kind of the uh, fuel for the comment section. Um, Darren, you uh, you had some responses. Uh, start winding us down, and Brian, close us out. All right. Um, I would just like to say that your defeater justification uh, is sort of a little bit self-refuting because if we can just dismiss anything that does isn't a claim, and your defeaters aren't claims, then Apparently, according to your logic, we can just go ahead and dismiss them and not take them seriously. So, if you want, if you want your defeaters to be taken seriously, then under your model that you're proposing, you're going to have to make a claim and defend that claim. Otherwise, uh, you're saying we're justified to just dismiss them. Um, as far as the influences um, that we're being tempted by with our free will to um, to have our um, that we're being punished for, we have to remember that God is the one that created those influences to begin with. They didn't exist prior to his creation because nothing existed prior to his creation. That includes the ability to rape. The whole idea of rape had to be 
uh, imagined first and then implemented into our system for us to actually be able to do it. So, God had to create rape and then give us the um, inclination to do it before it could even have happened in the first place. And you can claim that um, God could create free will. Without free will, we, uh, we would just be robots. But that's not actually true, because you don't actually have to have um, the ability to do evil in order to have free will. Um, I think, I forget who uses this example, but it's a fairly salient one, so I'll steal it shamelessly here. Um, You know, you can pee on a wall, you can kick a wall, but you can't jump over a wall, because God did not create humans with the ability to jump over the wall, but yet we still have free will. So, God could have uh, not created the ability for us to rape, and we would have still had free will. And that's why the free will argument never has worked and why it's just not convincing to atheists. Brian? Follow up in the comments. Yeah, so... um, (laughs) Close us out. (laughs) So, uh, David, this was great. I'm I'm glad we got to do this after show. uh, And thank you to Darren to come on. I really appreciated your... um, insights uh being that you were never a christian so that was important to uh hear what you had to say about the two shows that were done uh and dale it was great to have you on uh this show in particular because what it does is it also helps to thwart one of the uh complaints that we've been getting in the comments which is that you know the christians are having their own show the atheists are having their own show and they're not talking to each other they're talking behind each other's backs etc yeah I-, I hope this show sh- uh shows in plain relief that that's not at all what's happening uh, and even if there's a show where there's only one type of person on versus the other, there's plenty of space in the comments to flesh these things out to each other's faces. So I just want to applaud all of you for this kind of uh, conversation. And uh, I'm hoping that it'll continue on in the comments, both in the shows existing now and the comments for this show. So thanks I, again. Dave. I agree. This is a more useful after show uh, with Dale on it uh, this week. So I appreciate it, Dale. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, glad to, to comment. I'm sure you guys uh, disagree with everything I said, but uh, yeah, well, no, I... Of course, but then again, we disagree <laughs> with everything each other said, too, so... Um. Dave, David, let me let me throw one more thing out there. I, I meant to do this early. This, this won't be as funny because it's not as on point, but uh, when Dale was talking about his brother, the agnostic, I couldn't help about think, uh, thinking about... Uh, I don't know if you guys remember that show, Knight Rider, where Michael, oh Michael Knight was... had a doppelganger brother, Garth, and he had the, the tousled <laughs> hair and the and the goatee. So I'm picturing Dale's agnostic brother as looking like the, the Garth Knight to Dale's Michael Knight. So I, I, just I swear to you, I myself. was just watching that episode this morning with Goliath, <laughs> and uh, it, that is just crazy. I had it on the DVD on mute because I was uh, David was wasting my time for two hours. So, but yeah, it was playing on my TV as we spoke. That is just I'll so crazy. <laughs> Your mustache twirling brother, Dale. I'm sorry. I'm going to be laughing about that all day. So give, give him my best. I don't know him, but give him my best. Tell him I think he's got a good head on the shoulders. Okay. Personally, well, I think they're the same person. <laughs> <laughs> same uh, Two sides of the same coin. We've, we've never seen the two of them in the same room. That's all I'm saying. That's, that's right. <laughs> All right. So uh, with that, uh, with that all said, uh, thanks guys for showing up, and uh, I'm going to get this right out there. So uh, you, uh, you crazy commenters, take us apart. That's why we do this for, uh, and uh, we'll see you there. 
I don't get a closing. Take care, everybody. Oh, oh, wait a minute. No, I'm sorry. Uh, Dale, <laughs> did you did you actually have something of substance to uh, say as opposed to all that emotion you were spewing out? <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, 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 yeah. So, I just wanted to say, yeah, thank you guys for for a good conversation, thoughtful. Um, you know, I think both all sides have brought up some some good points. You know, Darren is right about the free will, for example. It, I, I should have said it's an essential feature of being a person to be a moral agent as and and have free will so that you have to be a moral agent and that's also necessary and and i want people to remember god god never the bible says explicitly that god never tempts us beyond what we can uh handle or or choose not to so there there is no in there are no immoral influences that are just totally beyond that individual person's ability to resist uh, according to the bible why should they be tempted to the ability they could exist uh, so, uh, to, i'm sorry it's i'm, I'm just i'm spluttering that was, that was, oh, it was interruptive i shouldn't have done it why should we be tempted at all even if we can take it what's the point of that i didn't sign up to be in some game show for pete's sake Furthermore, I don't trust God's idea of what it is we can and can't resist. There are a lot of people who are dead who did some things that they obviously couldn't resist. The temptation was too strong. And I know the Christian will say, well, that temptation didn't come from God. That came from the devil. Ridiculous. Okay, anyway, I'm sorry. Uh, uh, so, so that, yeah, that was my closing statement. No, uh, <laughs> uh, and, and the last point I wanted to, to leave on, again, was something that Darren, Darren said in his last statement about, yeah, well, Hey, if you're not gonna, if you're not making a claim with, with your defeaters, uh, then we can just dismiss them. And I just wanted to, just to clarify, it, it's not that you can. Yes, you 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 don't have to believe that that is actually true, but you don't dismiss them. I, I don't dismiss the skeptics' objection if I'm just proposing an equally probable or equally possible uh, defeater as an option. Then you can't preference one over the other. If they're equal, then Maybe Darren's right. God shouldn't have created, or maybe Dale's defeater is right. If I want to figure out, I'm not going to make a claim either way, uh, but I'm open to both possibilities unless and until I'm presented with reason to favor one option over the other, or to maybe a third option is right. Both of those are wrong, and there's some third option or something. So, yeah, that's how we we think through these things. So, thank you very much, everyone, for the for the good talk. All right, all. Uh, hey, really, Andrew's coming on double, double Jeopardy. That's the one that wins. I yes, yeah, I, I thought. Well, here, here's why. So, so I thought Val, Val, and and some others made substantive points as well. I'm not you, saying you only. Have, Andrew. You, don't, you don't have to justify it. I'm just, I'm just saying. Um, well, just just so he knows. Do you know? I, I, do you know how so big his ego is? Honestly, well, here's I liked it because because it's something that doesn't you get know brought the up. the damage that you have done to our relationship for the next two weeks. <laughs> I'll just shut up. You, you understand what you have done. Um, good, good on you, Andrew, for, for bringing up something. That's an issue that doesn't get brought up all the time. I, I hear about the disproportionality of the big punishment red button now. <laughs> <laughs>